Hello, hello, hello. Good morning, everybody. Good to see y'all. Hope you're going to drum. Oh, you can. I can get you some bongos and a tambourine or something. Well, it's nice to see y'all. Glad you're here. Happy Palm Sunday, and I'm just getting ready for a, a busy, exciting, long, crazy, fun, wonderful week. All the above. So if you want to stand up, we'll pray, and we'll praise God. Father, we love you. Uh, we're here for you this morning. Um, we take a break from the craziness outside of this place and come embrace the craziness that's in this place. And um, We're just here for you, God. We love you. We praise you. We're grateful for how you've worked in our lives, um, for the salvation we have through you and by you alone, uh, that as we go through this week, um, we just spotlight and remember through different events we're doing and then celebrating next Sunday. So we just uh, pray for your church this week, um, us and all the other churches around the world, God, that um, this is a very honoring week for you, God. Everything going on is for you, your kingdom. So we pray for all of the, the events, activities, the volunteers, uh, the leaders of everything, and for us to just take part and, and uh, honor you, God. So we give you this time. We lift this morning up to you. Pray for the kids as they learn. We pray for us as we learn. We pray for Leonard as he preaches. Uh, just let it be a, a great growing time for your kingdom, God. We love you and praise you. Oh, worship the king. All glorious above, oh, gratefully sing his wonderful love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, tell of his might. Oh, sing of his grace, whose robe is the light and canopy space. His chariots of wrath, a deep thunder clouds form, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. You alone are the matchless king, to you. Your glories and wonders what tongue can recite. You breathe in the air. You shine in the light. Oh, measureless might, ineffable love, while angels delight to worship above. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end. Our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. You 
To you alone be your majesty, your glories and wonders what tongue can recite. You breathe in the air, you shine in the light, you alone. And you alone are the matchless king, to you alone be your majesty. Your glories and wonders what tongue can recite. You breathe in the air. You shine in the light. You shine in the light. And Hosanna, Hosanna. You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, Hosanna, come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. face the day, and in your presence all our fears are washed away, washed away, Hosanna, Hosanna, you 
Come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Just the voices. Hosanna. Hosanna. You are the God who saves us. Worthy of all our praises. Hosanna. seated. Kids, you can go up to your program. Adults, you can stay here for this program. <laughs> so how's everybody doing? I'm just going to channel my inner uh, Matt Cutler for a second. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you to respond to this. Jesus is faithful. All the time. Maybe I'll do that. I need Matt to do this. He does it a lot better than I do. But you guys get it, right? The one thing that we can count on of all of the people, all of the attachments, everything that we connect to, as much as life disappoints us, Jesus is always true to his people. And that's the thing, I think, that gives you and I a lot of consolation in times that are uncertain, in circumstances that try us. We know that Jesus is with us. And he is for us. And, you know, I think the older I get, as simple as that sounds, the more meaningful it is. And, uh, and I'm glad you guys are here and sharing in that promise and that awareness. Uh, as we gather, I'd also like to welcome our friends online. And, um, and it, real quickly, uh, I guess I'm just going to say, for starters, strap yourself in. Because uh, we got a lot of announcements, and I'm going to start there, okay? Because this is a busy week. Uh, we're trying to actually follow Jesus through the Holy Week experience. And we've been doing that uh, with our Lent studies, which uh, if you don't have uh, one of these uh, out there, we've got a bunch of them still. And uh, even if you haven't even begun going through the Lent devotional, just pick it up and start through it. It's never too late, never too you know, never too soon, never too early. Right now is a good time. We just finished up part five. So this is, this is actually the one that we're going to be reading after Easter. And then I, I promise you I, I'll stop writing after that, okay? But hopefully it's been a good way for our church uh, to be able to look at who we are in light of what the Scripture says uh, we need to be. And we've gone through that journey together. So please... Uh, Pick one up if you have it. This is this is for next week, so we're getting it. You know, getting out in front of it a week. If it's confusing for you, uh, at least there'll be you know dates on the front and stuff. Okay, so that said, a couple more things. Uh, actually, a few more things I need to remind you of. So let's just go th through them one by one. Uh, next one is um, if you guys walked in the front entryway, you saw a lot of stuff. And what we're doing is our spring house cleaning. And there are a lot of things that kind of turn to the surface where uh, hoarding instincts have to be put to the side and we've got to say, okay, are we going to use this anytime soon? And so a lot of stuff is just residual. And, uh, but yeah, we don't want to throw it out. Uh, it, so if, if you guys 
want to exit that way or after you leave here, after the message, after all that stuff, no racing there to get, get, get there first. Um, there's some free stuff out there. Take a look uh, if you uh, are interested in things related to kids. Okay, uh, next one. We have um, a prayer walk today from 4 to 7. It'll be downstairs, and basically we're going to be going through like these different stations where we are going to be praying and meditating and just uh, taking communion and thinking about what Jesus went through during Holy Week and how that has an effect on our own lives and our own walk with the Lord and our walk with each other. So if you want to join us, you can just come and go as you, as you please, anytime between 4 and 7. Um, we're going to begin in the fellowship hall, and then you'll get direction from there on how to proceed. Okay, so next one. Uh, when we uh, go into Holy Week, the first step I just mentioned uh, is followed by our Lent devotional for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we're going to be gathering here uh, from 7 to 8. And the way this is structured is um, you can come any time during that period of time, and I'm going to serve you communion, and then you're going to have a prayer devotional. Uh, basically, it'll be a prayer guide, actually, and uh, it'll just kind of lead you through a time of meditation and then praying about some things that um, we need to be praying about in this season. But it's going to be somewhat somber, but also um, uh, uh, remembering the upper room uh, in that experience. So we'll have uh, a table up here that will represent what we see on the, uh, on the communion table. So we, we are asking everyone to take part in this because the goal is... When you see something, like if you ever buy a car and you're like, hey, I really like this car, but then you look at something that is a comparable model and then you go and check it out and you're like, well, by contrast to that car, I actually like this car better. And there's something about seeing things in contrast to things that really make it jump out at you. And one of the things that I think makes Easter so meaningful is to first follow Jesus through Holy Week and recognize exactly what it was that went through his mind and his heart when he was called to die on the cross for you and I. And what that meant, not just theologically, but what that meant personally. And I think if you experience that to any degree, and then you go into Easter Sunday it really gives you a fresh appreciation for what Jesus had to go through in order to be raised in the resurrected, resurrected life. So Monday, Thursday is one service that we're doing this week that moves us into that space. The next one that we're doing is Good Friday. And so we're going to be meeting here at 7 o'clock uh, on Good Friday, and we're just going to have a message-only on what took place with Jesus before he was crucified and as he was crucified. So um, then Saturday, back to our Lent devotional, and then Sunday, we've arrived. It's been a long journey of walking the footsteps of Jesus, the footsteps of the church, and uh, really this is the culmination of our celebration. So... That said, we would love for you guys to join us. We're going to have a breakfast uh, following the worship service, and um, then, you know, uh, it'll be an awesome day.
well, if that doesn't keep our church busy enough, the next weekend um, we are hosting a community banquet on April 24th. And uh, we're going to be doing that on, I believe that's a Saturday, right? Sunday, I mean, yeah, I'm just right there. Um, and we're going to do that from 4 to 6. So if you want to help out with that, we're going to do something similar to what we did during Thanksgiving. And that was a very meaningful thing for everybody. And I know that um, everybody that was there said that was just a wonderful way to be a blessing for others. So I'm already out of breath, and I still got a whole sermon to go. So we're going um, to do prayer, and then we're going to um, uh, move into the message. So if you guys are still strapped in, I do want to mention real quickly, uh, Rob Coffee went to the hospital last night. He's at Altman. And uh, they're trying to regulate his blood pressure and his heart rate, which have been sort of out of sync. Um, he's not in any danger that I'm aware of, but they got it. They, but, but his blood pressure is getting high, and there's some concerns because he has a, an ulcer on one of the arteries coming out of his, his heart that they keep an eye on. So please keep Rob and uh, Karen lifted up in your prayers as, um, as, as we go to our prayer time. Just real quickly, uh, anyone have anything uh, that is of a... Of a, of, a, of a burdensome nature that you want to bring uh, before the body that we can be praying for. Yeah, Robin. Um, I just want us to be um, praying for our friend Barb. She has a very trying situation tomorrow, so okay. we need to give her all of our love and our strength. Okay, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a lady named Barb who sits right behind Rachel, uh, usually, and um, she's been going through a very difficult season. And um, I won't go into the de details other than to say that she's somebody pastorally we've been trying to help out and keep an eye on. Uh, so please keep Barb lifted up in your prayers. Anyone else? Who was that last name? Vickery. Uh, her, her name is Barb Vickery? Barb. Yeah. Well, Joe Carroll, <laughs> what are you doing here? Whoa. All right. Wow, that makes our day. All right. Good to have you with us. We missed you. And there, there's some other people that I know that have popped back in. Um, I, won't, I won't like point anybody out yet, but I'll do that later. Okay. A anything else? Yes, Nancy. Okay. All right. What's your husband's first name? Phil. Phil. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember. Okay. All right, um, so he's having, you said, uh, okay, so he's having some issues with just how, maybe neuropathy or something like that. Okay, all right, anyone else? Oh, yeah, okay, Pat? Billy Howe. Billy Howe? Okay. So pray for Billy Howe and just pray that God will help him through this season. Obviously, it's very difficult for him. All right. Well, please, I keep Peg in your in your prayers. Peg Pan's out as she goes through her chemo, and um, and and Wendell Goddard as well, uh, who I know has been trying to sort out some issues with um, with the reoccurrence of his cancer. So please keep uh, one another lifted up. All right. So let's uh, let's go before the Lord with all of this, shall we? Our Lord Jesus, as we have come to celebrate your triumphal entry into the city, we know that you came with a, a set of expectations that are 
probably different than the ones that we have when we come to you. And we know, Lord, that uh, you are faithful to your people and that you work things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And there's so much about you that makes us feel safe in bringing our, our, our greatest burdens before uh, your throne and laying them at your feet. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to lift up those that we have mentioned. Um, we pray, Father, for Billy, and uh, pray, Father, that you give him peace of mind, and that you be, be with Phil, and that you help him as he tries to sort out issues regarding his nervous system and how it's not transmitting information like it needs to, and I just pray that you would help him to, to uh, find a, a pathway for healing. We pray, Father, that you would be with Peg and that you would continue to bless her and help her in this time of getting her chemo, and I pray that it would accomplish what you, uh, what, is, what has been desired on our behalf and what, what we hope as we lay uh, her need before you, um, that you as our great physician would, would lead to that, that healing and health once again. And I pray for Wendell. I just ask that you guard him and keep him in this season and just keep his body healthy, Lord, and watch over him. We especially want to remember Rob Coffey and pray, Father, that you help Rob to uh, find some equilibrium with his heart rate and his blood pressure and all of those things that I know the doctors are trying to calibrate so that he can get his strength back. So please just protect him, but also as they go through this procedure of uh, evaluating, pray, Father, that it would lead to insight so that he could, he could find that health once again. And Lord, as I just think about all of our people and the things that are not mentioned in this, in this moment, I know there are burdens that have been brought into the room that have, uh, have weighed us down and made our hearts heavy. Lord, we know that you are there for everything that we face, no matter what. In all of its variety, you are faithful to your people. And we're thankful that as we take the things that we've laid before your throne, the things that haven't been mentioned that we've prayed silently, the things we're celebrating, that you would receive it. And as a result of your handiwork, you would be glorified. So thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing our prayers. And as we seek to follow you into uh, this, this, this season and, and the culmination of what it represents, I pray, Father, for your help uh, to be able to speak your word in a way that um, touches the hearts of your people uh, according to your purpose. So help us, Lord, as we follow you to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, uh, in the remaining time that we have here, far as the message time goes, um, hopefully, uh, after saying all that, I feel like I've just preached a sermon. But um, here's part two of that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, feel free to take a look at Matthew 21. We're going to be uh, stepping back into a scene that um, was uh, the culmination of Jesus' 
uh, departure from Galilee down winding through the Holy Land into Jericho and then his last destination is Jerusalem. And as we've been going through the book of Luke, we've been following him in all the twists and turns of what that means and, and where we left off uh, in Luke chapter 14. We haven't gotten quite to the place where we're looking at today, so I'm drawing from Matthew. And um, the one thing that, st that stood out in this experience with you guys is how I kind of had an idea of who Jesus was that was sort of my operational view and what I expected him to be, and maybe you did too. And then Jesus, as we've been following him in the book of Luke, uh, has shown us a side of himself that maybe has challenged some of us. Maybe it's given us a clear picture of his identity. Maybe it's helped you to feel a little bit more at peace with the Lord. Maybe in some ways it's upset you or disturbed you. I'm guessing, if you're like me, it's probably done all the above. Because there's a version of Jesus that the Gospels portray to us that may be different than the version of Jesus that we've imagined. And I think one of the things that's happened in the last couple of years is God has pushed the pause button on everything, on the world. And he's, for whatever reason, he's used this to give us a timeout. And if you have ever had kids that you put into timeout, what's the reason for putting them into timeout? They need a break. They need to rest. They need to slow down. You need a break. <laughs> maybe God needed a break. You know, maybe God said, all right, things are quiet. I'm going to take a break. You take a break. But we also know that timeouts are so we can think about why we're in timeout to begin with. And my guess is if you went through that timeout like I did, you spend a little time thinking about a lot of different stuff. And one of those things I hope is how God, how Jesus fits into your picture. And a lot of us, we've had a view of Jesus that said he works until he doesn't, and then I don't need him. And some people haven't come back to church. Now, there are reasons why they, they haven't come back that maybe have nothing to do with him. But others have said, you know, I used to go to church, but I don't really see the point. I did pretty good, or I'm okay. And you get out of the habit. But then there's another group of people that says, as I'm coming back, I have a new and deeper appreciation for my relationship with the Lord and my relationship with the Lord's people. I don't see them or him quite the same way. And if that's happened as a result of our time out, then I believe that God, that, that you are in tune with God's purposes for this moment. And as we're going to uh, look at our story in just a second, Jesus has spent three years up in Galilee. And you know how much time he spent in Jerusalem as, uh, as he did ministry? Guess how much? Only about a week and a half. You know, you think about Jerusalem and Jesus and the Holy Land. He, apart from being there as a kid, he was only there for a week and a half. A little over 10 days. That's it, 10 days. So when he comes into the city, 
uh, just north of there, there's a town called Jericho, and he's preaching, and he's, he's, uh, he's healing some people, and he's uh, obtaining a, a, an even greater following because his reputation has preceded him, and people recognize that something fantastic is happening with this Jesus, and they get on the Jesus bandwagon. And there in Jericho, there were a couple of people on the side of the road as they were heading towards Jerusalem who uh, were, were blind and they needed healing. And they said, you know, uh, Son of David, help us out. And the crowd said, as they looked at those two, they said, get away from him, losers, and, because we're following the Messiah. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there a problem with people who are following Jesus to say to other people, hey, get away from him, losers? Does that sound Okay. It doesn't quite sound right, does it? Obviously, the people that were following had a different view of who Jesus was uh, because that's how they treated the people that were appealing to Jesus for healing. They had a different idea. They had in their mind a dictionary entry of the definition of the Messiah, and Jesus was him. And so they follow him as the crowd swelled. They follow him to the city of Jerusalem. And as they're going there, um, Jesus says, let's stop and let's plan our entry. And what we're going to be reading about in the scripture here in just a second is comes in on a donkey. But before he does that, there's some back drama that's been going on. And one of them is a couple of the disciples, you know, they were kind of angling for the time when they would be seated beside the Lord in his kingdom. And Jesus even mentioned that when, when the time comes, when the new world comes into being, um, you guys will be able to judge the, 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 12, the 12 tribes. You'll be able to judge Israel. And he made a statement about their status. And this kind of hung in the air for some of them. And there were a couple of them, James and John, who said, hey, you know what? We want to be on the right and the left. They had a little confab with their mother. And then their mother hauls them in before Jesus. They get down on their knees, kind of like, please, please, please. And the mom says, hey, when the kingdom happens, can you put my boys one on either side of you? I mean, let's be honest. If you're a mom and you have boys or kids, them to do well, right? No question about that. But Jesus is like sort of confusing because this is all about you having status. And everything that I am teaching and preaching about the kingdom isn't centered on the status of making you better than other people because those people have, have postured like they are better than you. This is about everyone just having a place in the kingdom and a role and a responsibility, not necessarily an elevated status, with the exception of saying that I'm going to appoint you to judge these guys, and it's not about, hey, you're in an exalted place, but you have a responsibility to, to call out the situation in a way that honors my will and purpose. All right, so all that back drama is happening. There's some ambition happening and they want a relational agreement. Hey, Jesus, promise us that when that time comes, we will have, we'll have that, and it'll all be good. 
But the expectations of what Jesus had intended to create through the kingdom were really far different than the expectations that people had when they were approaching him. Both the crowds and the people that were with him for three years. And this is what I, I want you to understand as we're going into this. Just in general, every healthy relationship is based on shared agreements. Am I right? I mean, you have to have at least some understanding that um, if we're going to be a thing, we have to agree on some things. And, and there's three forms, I think, that they take. I'm just going to say this real quickly because it helps us set it up. One is sort of understood agreements, and most friendships are kind of based that way. It's just in our heads, you know, we, we agree that um, I'm going to be your friend, you're going to be mine. A lot of times we gain stuff from that, and they gain from it, and it's mutually beneficial. But over time, it kind of changes and morphs, and the sort of agreement changes as we change, and it's sort of fluid. And all of us have had friends that were just really strong friends for a season, and then after a while, things change, we change, and they change. And, uh, and, and the agreement changed, and we no longer really valued the same things. If promises were made, hopefully they were kept. If they weren't, then the relationship probably didn't work. We do a lot of this, and if you, have an if you, have a, if you want a relationship with somebody, there has to be things that you both say, we value this, or the group say, we value this. Otherwise, there's nothing to hold it together. Then there is a contractual agreement, which is 50-50, I promise you this, you promise me that, and we each stand to gain something. And it's unchanging unless you renegotiate or it is breached if you break it. And those are kind of legal agreements. Sometimes marriages are like this, 50-50, just me and you, me and you, me versus you, me and you, but just me and you. The Bible talks about something called covenantal agreements, where there are understood values defined, and they're based on love and mutual benefit and respect for each other. Promises are made. Promises are supposed to be kept. Boundaries are put in place that make it work, and shared values are defined to make it so that these are the things we hold to be most important. And they're based on a deep trust. And covenantal relationships, they run much deeper because if you break it and it's agreed upon and it's formalized in some way, usually it's deeply personal and usually it involves a community of people while there's profound betrayal and it's like the death. So marriages in a Christian sense are covenantal. They're sacred and they are a relationship between two people and between God. And God is sort of the third party that helps it to stay healthy, stay within the agreed upon boundaries and shared values. When that happens, you become deeply attached to that person. And God becomes deeply attached to the parties involved. And as a result of that, families are created with deep attachments for one another. Do you think there's a key word here in what I'm saying? It's attachments. 
And God had a covenant that he made with Abraham that he deeply, deeply wanted to keep and make, and he wanted Abraham to keep and make it because relationships were so important. And God was looking at all of humanity, and he was saying, it is broken. It is broken down, and I'm trusting you, Abraham, to be faithful to this covenant. And if you are faithful to this covenant and your children are faithful to this covenant, guess what? The attachment that I have for all of humanity can be reclaimed. How many of you in this room have experienced the loss of someone you were attached to. It could be through marriage. It could be a child. It could be through just aging and loss. But what happens when you lose them? What happens to your heart? It's broken, isn't it? You can't help it because it just runs so, so deep. And you go through a grief process. And you want to see it recovered and restored. But oftentimes, most of the time, it doesn't happen. Now, when God looks at us, he says, you are made in my image. You are made in my likeness. I am deeply attached to you. But like so many agreements, we said, yeah, God, we'll follow you. We got this garden. We got this whole place. Hey, there's a shiny object right over there. Oh, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's go check that out. And then all of a sudden, loyalties get betrayed. Covenants get broken. Shiny objects look much more appealing and bonds are broken. When God sees us, he sees us as another part of the relationship that he longs to see restored. And in his mind, he is patient towards that end. So patient That he promises as soon as trust is broken in that initial covenantal agreement that you're going to rule all, just obey me. He sets into motion something that says, even though you have chosen to go a different direction, I'm going to work through time and space and people and families and circumstances and countries and everything you can imagine. Get you back. And then Jesus shows up. And he has one goal. Take that which is broken and fix it. Take that which is lost and reclaim it. Take that which is in prison and set it free so that a covenantal relationship can begin again. So right before he went to the cross, he met with his disciples and he said, let's have a relational agreement My blood of the new covenant will define how it is that we relate to one another from here on out. These are sort of the ground rules for a healthy relationship to continue. Now, that's a huge framing way of describing why Jesus came into the city the way he did. 
You see, what happened is somewhere along the way, somebody said, we have a better idea about how to follow God. And it was the religious leaders who came up with their own formula for how it is that you connect with God. Have you ever gone to a restaurant? And um, my wife and I, we go to a restaurant in the area, and she loves her deep-fried potato chips. Her stomach's drowned already. But they have their special sauce that you dip them in, okay? We don't like their sauce. We like to have those chips dipped in ranch dressing. But they're like, we have the special house-made sauce. We make it here. It's got all the right ingredients. This is what you need. And we're like, no, that's not what we need. What we need is this over here with ranch dressing. You know, just Hidden Valley. It's fine. They're like, what's wrong with you? We're like, what's wrong with you? But there you go. There's something about expectations and desires and things like that where sometimes we take that to an even farther view and say, Jesus, we want the way you, we, we, want, we want to look at you in a way that satisfies our taste. And sometimes when we do that, we change everything altogether. So let me pick on the restaurant for a minute. How many of you have ever gone to a restaurant that was bought out by another company, and then they change the formula. And you go to eat their product, whatever it is, you're like, something ain't right in Blackrock, so my stomach is not quite handling this like it used to. It didn't taste like it should. And you're like, well, guess that's over. You know, you, you maybe go back two or three times, but they changed it. And and, and, and when Jesus showed up, everything was changed. They'd made a bunch of rules. They made a bunch of formulas, a bunch of ideas that said, this is how you worship God. And it was based on power and control and glory and prestige. And so they really flaunted it. And when the Messiah was going to come, they were hoping that he would come in glory and prestige and in all of the powerful expectations that would finally, once and for all, put their enemies in their proper place. And so the Messiah does show up, the long-awaited king who God promised to David in a covenant. He's going to sit on your throne forever. I promise you. And so when David shows up, we read these words in, um, in, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 21. Let's just jump to those real quick. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. This is not really going the way it should if you're expected another kind of Jesus. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them uh, at once. This too uh, took place to fulfill, uh, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. 
humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of a brute. And the disciples went and Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him, the people that were from Jericho that I mentioned a little while ago and other followers all the way from Galilee shouting, Hosanna, just like we sang, to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, uh, who is this again? What's going on here? Because the crowds here weren't just, they weren't the Jerusalemites. They were the people who had followed him and then went before him to lay down their cloaks to say, this is our king. And he came into town just like other kings, only usually it was in a more powerful display. And the crowd said, oh, jump back for just a second. Um, to the, and the crowd said, this is the prophet, Jesus, from Galilee. I want to stay right there for a second. Okay, one of the things that a prophet had to do is embody the reality of what was going on in the mind of God. Okay, you with me? One of the prophets was asked, go get, your, go get yourself a wife who's going to basically cheat on you to the point where she's a prostitute to the community. And so he marries this gal, and that happens. And then he has to go reclaim her, and he reclaims her. And then he has to have three kids, and then the, the three kids are supposed to be named names that have to do with the, the attitude that God had towards them and things that were going to occur. Here's a prophet doing all this stuff. You can imagine his heart is just going like this all over the place. Mary's a wife, tries to get attached to her. She just carries on like it's not even a thing. Has kids. We're not even sure if they're his own kids. And the prophet has to embody this experience. And I know we all come from messed up families and stuff like that happens. Thankfully, Jesus has an answer for that. But let's just stick to the point. The prophet has to show heart, soul, mind, actions. What is going on in the heart of God? And his primary job is to bring people back into a right relationship. Bring people back to the covenantal agreement that they initially had with God. Make them wake up to the fact that, hey, you're breaking the covenant. Okay, so Jesus comes in like a prophet. The symbolism of being on a donkey shows the humility of this king as opposed to the arrogance and might and military power of a military-industrial complex. And he's showing something of an attitude they didn't expect. I mean, when somebody attacks our country, our first thought is we need to pray to the Lord to do something to Get those guys back. Sort of a little bit of a combination of turn the other cheek and an eye for an eye. But Jesus comes in and he does something really weird. He goes straight to the place of worship. The place where they connect with God in that relational agreement. And this is what happens. And Jesus enters the temple 
and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Not, not, not what you think when you think of triumphal entry, right? Like, hey, Hosanna, it's all celebration and stuff. Only to see that, wait a minute, what is he doing? He's creating chaos in here. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Well, let's back up for a minute because prayer really is the issue here. Prayer is the thing that is the expression of the relational agreement that we have with God. When we ask God for something, God on the other end is saying, I want to answer your prayer. Matter of fact, I'm going to answer your prayer because I love you and I want to see something happen. But the breakdown is what we expect in prayer and what God does isn't always the same thing. Have you ever been frustrated by that? You pray and then God doesn't answer it the way you think he should. But if, you, if the relationship is important, you stick, with, you stick it out because you know he's faithful, you know he has your best interest in mind, and you know that over time he is going to answer that prayer in his way, and then it may be now, it may be a month from now, it may be 10 years from now, maybe a lifetime. But when you look back, you're like, Oh, you did hear my prayer. And you answered it in such a way that it took care of a lot of other things that actually were part of the, the whole thing to begin with. So if you look at your message notes, um, we got some sort of points that I want to elaborate on real quickly. And the first one is people usually think about turning to God when they have a desperate need or they want something very badly. In the case of the people along the side of the road, they said, help us, son of David, heal us. And that was their prayer. And that's what he did. And there were others who said, hey, Jesus, we have a request of you. Make us prestigious people in your kingdom. Help us to sit in those places where we are honorable and people will be deferential towards us. He said, well, maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. It's up to the Father. He'll apply his wisdom to your request. And chances are it probably won't happen the way you want, but it'll happen in the best way possible. Because God knows best, even though we think we know best. I found this out about God over 35 years of being a pastor. That usually I pray whenever I'm like, help me God, help me God, help me God. Have you ever read that prayer? Or, I really want that thing. And God's like, I want to address the desire that you have for that thing first. That's a whole different sort of answer, but the best one. Secondly, he says, Jesus desires to answer every one of our sincere requests, which I believe. However, he will answer according to his own way and time. He will. I believe that. You can't coerce somebody to do something for you that violates their values, that violates their character. And truth be told, there's a lot of evil in the world, and it starts with, with us. And so Jesus is trying to help us come correct through our experiences by going to him repeatedly, praying, trusting, hoping, and then 
stepping back and watching over time what he does. How many of you, when you pray, say, God, as I look backwards, I remember that day a month ago, two months ago, a year ago, when I prayed, and this is what you did. We kind of had this conversation at the elders meeting, kind of cataloging some things we prayed about, and we're like, yeah, we sort of forgot about some stuff. And then we saw the effect, and we're like, yeah, I remember praying about stuff like that back then, or that situation. Jesus' way, Jesus' time. And then thirdly, uh, I'm just going to jump into that for a second. Jesus will answer our requests and prayers at the deepest layer of our human need. However, our expectations of what that should look like may be different than God's answers. Kind of saying the same thing, but it all circles back to why he came into the town on a colt instead of a charger. I don't mean Mopar. I mean charger as in horse, war horse. Because when Jesus came in, he came in in a very disarming, non-pretentious um, non-triumphalistic way, he came in in a very humble way because he wasn't interested in the power agendas of the world. He wasn't interested in pride and glory in man for man's sake. He wasn't interested in righting the wrongs in the way that they wanted him to right the wrongs through military might and destruction. What Jesus was doing was answering a prayer for people that had been covenantally faithful throughout all the unfaithfulness of Israel's history, there's always been this group of people that have been called the remnant, the faithful few who stayed true to the covenant, who stayed true to the relational agreement, hoping for the day like Anna in the temple when Jesus was born and she saw him and she says, now I can go. Hoping for the day like Jesus' parents and Zachariah and Elizabeth, hoping for the day when the Messiah would come. And Jesus comes in to answer their prayers. But the way he's doing it is not what they expected. Matter of fact, it was so out of sync with their expectations that if we jump back into the story where we left off, let's just pick up uh, for a second here. And so while he was at the temple creating chaos, the blind and the lame, like on the roadside, came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes, the chief priests and the scribes were saying, why is he, those, those losers need to just step aside. We have important business with this Jesus character. And Jesus sees their hearts, and he recognizes that their idea of what should take place in the temple has become far removed from the heartfelt attachment that God had for humanity, and his expectation was, you, my people, are going to be a source of grace and compassion and reconnecting. And everywhere Jesus went, everybody's saying, hey, losers, get aside. But Jesus looks at them and he says, 
These are the very people that God came to rescue. The ones who want it. The ones who need it. The ones who recognize their brokenness. But when you have power and all the wheels in life are going your way, God's not real interesting, to be honest with you. If nothing else, he's a nice accessory to put on to your resume of how you present yourself to other people. Hey, I go to church. Hey, I'm a good guy. Hey, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But that's different than saying not my will, but your will be done. And so these broken people are saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Just like we heard a minute ago. But the religious leaders were like, huh? What? Who's this guy? Who would you say he was again? Because everything about him did not register or resonate with the people that should have seen him right out of the gate. And I'm guessing that Jesus may or may not register or resonate with you until maybe perhaps you're like me, you had a moment, a season, time, where you're so broken that it was in that brokenness that you could finally hear his backing, his saying to you, hey, I'm here, I'm here for you. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. And these guys, they heard that. And all they could do was say, amen and hallelujah. But the religious leaders, busy, indignant. This is not standard protocol. This is unacceptable. This is not the Messiah we're looking for. This is not the Messiah we prayed for. He's not answered our prayers. But there's something about getting close to Jesus that affects you, changes you. These guys were nowhere near being close to him. Now, if Rachel and I had first met each other, I'd like to pick on you because you're right there. And I said, Rachel, hey, I'm the pastor here. I'm in charge. You can worship here as long as you want. Just don't step out of line. You can, you can fill in the rest of the story. But I know brokenness. She knows brokenness. And the thing we have in common is we know the Lord. We know the one who is greater than any of us. And the covenantal agreement that we have works. It's a value. He's Lord. I'm not. She's not. Hey, we're loud. We're loud mouths. But hey, we're not lords. We're not the Lord. And feel free to put us in our place whenever we think we are. That's different. Because coming from a place of brokenness, when I came into a relationship with him, I was all ears. Coming from a place of brokenness, when we came into a place of friendship, I was all ears, and I think you were too. 
There's something about saying, I need this relationship. It is important to me. And there's something about God that says, yes. Because I honestly believe there is not a human being on the planet that God's going to shut out when they say, hey, I got a jacked up life. I don't always do the things that I want to do. Sometimes I don't even make the right choices. But I do know something this at the very core of my being, I need you. And I want you. And God looks at us and all of our confusedness and all of our duplicity, and he says, I want you to. But we got a lot of work to do. And he goes to work. And we hate it and we love it all at the same time because it's not what we expected. And Jesus came into their world in a way that they didn't expect. So finish out the thought, and we're going to end it here because there's... I could just go on and on. And you guys are like, I've been sitting here for a long time. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you ever, ever read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you prepared praise. He's basically saying, little kids get it. Babies get it. You don't get it. It's provocative language. He threw down right there. And they're not going to let it slide. They were humiliated in front of everybody. I mean, we may not see it, but we don't live in their world. But what he said basically was, you're stupid idiots, and you don't get it. Now, I know that's not what we tell our kids to say, but that's essentially what that insult was. You're know-it-alls who know nothing. Now, Jesus did it in a different way, but that was the effect. And if anybody said that to you, how would you feel? Get mad, get even. Especially if you knew at the deepest layer of your being, he's right. He's right. And then you know what Jesus did? He just said, I'm out of here. And he left. And it just began to simmer. And it began to stir. And it began to heat up. Because he's saying all the right things to all the people that have hearts to hear it. And he's saying all the wrong things to all the people that are having their world disrupted by his presence. And really, as we go through Holy Week, we have to also experience that drama because there will come a point when everybody says, Jesus, we're not having it. Every last human being says, finally, no, we're out. Now, if you were in a relationship with a group of people and every last one of them said to you in your hour of deepest need, see ya. How would you feel? And all that time attaching to these people, and they said, can't go there. We can't do that. See you later. Now, when I'm in pain, I'd love to have people around me to encourage and help and process. 
We have none of that. If I were God, I might have just said, forget it. These guys, it's never going to come right. But you know what's so beautiful about the heart of God? He never gave up hope. He never gave up hope that we could be reclaimed. I love that about the heart of God. It's why I'm here. It's why I'm telling you this. Because he wants to be not in a sort of understood agreement. Hey, God, if you do this for me, I'll do that, and it'll all be good. Sort of psychological understanding. Not going to get too serious. Or contractual agreement. God, I'll work hard if you save me. The minute I stop working hard, I know you won't save me anymore. Or a covenantal agreement that says, I promise to hold up my end of the bargain, God says. And I'm guessing I probably won't. But I'm still going to hold it up. Why? Because despite everything that I am getting signaled to me by you, I love you that much. And I want to be in a relationship with you that much. And there's only one answer, and it has to be Jesus. For the impossibility of our brokenness and the impossibility of God's perfection to ever come to a place where we can connect and attach except through the one who says, this is my son whom I love. And the other one who says, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. He's the connecting link. There is no other way for this to work. It's the only way. We're going to go into Holy Week, and I'm just going to push the pause button right there. And I'll conclude by saying when Jesus answers our requests and our prayers, he does so more thoroughly than we realize. And often the issues surrounding our need are much greater than we imagined. The table that we're getting ready to go to is just a way of saying, you came to me for a particular need, but it runs very, very deep. The bottom line is, as Derek gets ready to come up, we have to trust the wisdom of Jesus' response. We will not likely understand it at first, but I'm here to tell you, in the end, it will make perfect sense. Eric, would you lead us? lot of planning and preparation and looking ahead for him coming and 
we didn't have palm trees, but we did have uh, flowers. And I remember thinking how upset my grandmother would be for to see people throwing cut flowers out in the street. What a waste, you know, a lot of work. But that's what it was. That's how John Kennedy was looked at. Um, if he would have known in the future that he was going to be assassinated by mankind, I wonder what he would have done. Would he turn around and stay in a bunker? Would he continue to be with the public? And uh, in no way am I comparing our Lord and Savior with John Kennedy, but there was similarities there when a dignitary comes to town. Uh, when Jesus went into Jerusalem, we knew there was the palm trees and uh, you know people threw down their coats, as we'll call them, uh, in preparation. Uh, but if there was ever a time that Jesus could have condemned mankind, that would have been it when he walked, when he rode into Jerusalem. He knew what was coming because of his Father's will, and yet he went ahead and did it. He didn't condemn us. He came to save us, to take away our sins, to take our transgressions upon him. So there's, there's a huge difference there when we, we look at what the Lord did for, for us and uh, more than just a dignitary to us. He was uh, somebody real in our hearts and somebody that gave everything he had for us. So uh, before we take our communion today, if you would uh, bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, for what it means uh, to each and every one here. We pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct us in the coming week, this holy week, as we reflect on just how much you did love us and care for us. Lord, as we take this loaf and cup, representing your body and blood. We just ask, Lord, that we could be the people that you want us to be, that we would reach out to others to bring them to know you, to help help them in their lives and their understandings. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that you carried out your mission because you loved us so much. In your son's name we pray, amen.
right, I know our service is a little bit different, but this is the opening salvo of Holy Week, and so it doesn't really conclude as much as it does adjourn for a minute. We'd love to have you guys back from 4 to 7. We're going to take the narrative that we have just sort of walked into and explore that covenantal agreement as it unfolded in the life of Jesus. Um, So I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're dismissed. Lord Jesus, as we come to a place in our worship service, in the church calendar rhythm, in that season where you are concluding your earthly ministry, in that place where you're trying to reunite us with the Father through your shed blood, we look ahead to what's going to happen on Friday, and we know that in the meantime, there is a sense of foreboding. And as followers of you, help us to have a, a, a refreshed sense of what that means and meant for you as we think about it, not in the abstract, but very viscerally in terms of your entrance, your rejection, your betrayal, your covenantal agreement that you established on Thursday, and your crucifixion on Friday. We live here celebrating because we know that it's a reenactment, but unless every generation sees that drama unfold for themselves, we have no appreciation of where your heart is. And so, Father, I just ask that as we leave here, we can have a renewed sense of your posture towards each of us as you never leave us or forsake us, as you promise that you will be with us always to the end of the age, and as we can take confidence in knowing that you are trustworthy. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to your calling. Give us, Lord, hearts and minds that are renewed by revisiting it once again. Bless our people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord grant you his peace as we leave in the name of Jesus.